Hello, dear listeners. This is Carl. I am an alcoholic, and uh, of course, this is SoberPod. But uh, really quickly, I just want to say I'm sitting in my trailer. That's why you hear the generator running. I'm a trailer, an RV. Um, I've been affected by the fires, and um, we still wanted to put out a, a podcast uh, episode this week. So Steve actually grabbed his phone and went to town on his own. Uh, here is uh, Steve uh, with uh, basically what we're titling the lost episode, the lost episode of SoberPod. Um, hopefully we'll be returning uh, back next week when the, uh, when the smoke clears. If, uh, if you're out there and you're feeling the same way, I certainly understand. I hope you have a, a better week. Hope you stay safe and sane. And Steve has some corrections there. It's not Deanna Yak. No, it's Deanna Don't You Know or something like that at Twitter. So I uh, hope you uh, like uh, Steve's episode. So give it a listen. The last episode coming at you. I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is February 7th, 2010. Welcome to SoberPod. We would like to remind you that we on SoberPod do not speak for or represent any outside recovery or 12-step groups. All opinions expressed on SoberPod <clears throat> are those of the individuals speaking them, whether they regret it or not. We are not addiction, health, or mental health professionals and strongly urge you to listen in moderation. This week's sponsor for SoberPod is SoberGrid. SoberGrid is a free iOS Android app that connects you with other sober people. You're instantly connected to a global sober community in your neighborhood and around the world. You can build strong sober support networks and inspire others. SoberGrid is also posting original content like Real Talk with Louis Sabatasso, a gritty interview show about life before recovery, after recovery, and everything in between. SoberGrid has been featured in Forbes, the New York Times, and has received grants from both the National Science Foundation and the National Institute of Health. Check out all the features of SoberGrid and learn more about SoberGrid at SoberGrid.com. Also, a special thanks up here at the top goes out to artist Cat for the amazing Pink Cloud artwork. Check out the Pink Cloud artwork on SoberPod's Facebook page and make sure to check out at Cat on Instagram to see more of her amazing art. That's at Cat on Instagram, C-U-P-O-C-A-T. So we have an exciting way to kick off things today. We have our first SoberPod shout-out, and it's not one that I found myself and retweeted at the show. We're moving up in the world. SoberPod shout-outs are recognitions of milestones in recovery, and our first SoberPod shout-out ever goes to I'm a Princess at Deanna Don't Yak Know, who on August 5th hit six years sober. Congratulations, Deanna. That is a huge deal. Six years. That is... Does anyone actually get six years sober? Now that I think of it, she's probably lying. But you know what? If you're going to lie, go big. And I like that you went big. You went with six years. Even if we don't believe you, that is an amazing accomplishment to lie about. No, I'm obviously joking. Deanna tweeted at us, uh, well, I did it. Six years sober. Yeah. I can't believe I made it this far. I'm so happy and damn proud of myself, especially with having no willpower. Laugh out loud, so go me! And if you would like a SoberPod shout-out for your achievements in sobriety, 
Tweet at SoberPod and use the hashtag SoberPod shoutouts to tell us what your milestone is, and you'll get a shoutout on an upcoming episode. So congratulations again to I'm a Princess on six hard-earned years of sobriety. So I'm sure as you listeners have noticed, I'm the only one talking. There's no Carl. And that's because Carl, well, Carl's out drinking. And let's be honest, everyone. We all knew it was coming. We heard him every week. His sobriety was watered down, his message was watered down, and we just knew he wasn't going to stick around, he wasn't going to last. So we'll wish Carl the best out there, but I, because I care about sobriety and I care about you, will still be here every week to make sure you have something in your feed to listen to. Obviously, I'm joking. Carl did not go out. He did not relapse. Actually, the the truth is actually that, well, the entire state of California seems to be on fire. And Carl uh, and his family, their house resides right on the front lines of one of those fires that's quickly advancing. So there was actually an evacuation notice that was posted a day or two ago. They had to uh, flee the area. They are staying at a friend's house. They are uh, getting to camp out in an RV. So... We're all wishing them the best. Carl's, everyone's doing fine. They got their animals out. They got the kids out. They got the wife out. And I'm sure she'll appreciate hearing that being referred to as the wife. But everyone in Carl's family is fine. Carl is fine. But all of the equipment that we would use for a normal show is still over at Carl's residence, which they are not being allowed back into at the moment. So we're hoping to have a regular episode posted by the end of this weekend if we... Uh, If Carl can get back into the area and actually can get back into his house, Uh, there's a lot of people have been evacuated there. So obviously our thoughts are with them. And just so you all know, he will be back next week. This is just a temporary uh, setback. But because we wanted to make sure you had something in your feed, I'm going to go ahead and do my best to do the episode solo today as I record this into my iPhone. My iPhone? My iPhone is the proper way to say that. Uh, that is resting on a towel in order to hopefully get the audio to be a little less tinny than it was when I tested it. So we will see how well that works. But aside from that, now that you know what's going on with Carl, I'll tell you what's going on with me, my weekly check-in. It's been an all right week. I don't remember there being this many hours in the day. I've been in school and working uh, full-time for the past two years and Doing both of those things at the same time got me used to getting up and having to rush out the door and run a thousand different places during the day and never having enough time. And now all of a sudden everything's come to a halt. So I'm job hunting and I am optimistic, although currently I am bored. And for anyone out there with any time in sobriety or if you're new to sobriety, uh, I can be happy to report that boredom is still a risk because I get all kinds of great ideas when I'm bored and it's uh, been serving me well to keep busy, to see what I can do for other people because when I'm left alone to my own devices, I just kind of ramble in my head. I make up shit that's not really happening. I get upset. I get depressive. And basically a great way around all of that is to keep busy, ask other people what they need and just go do it. So because I remember in early sobriety, I would hear things like that, like go do something for someone else. Get out of yourself. Get out of your head. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to do anything for anyone else. Like, you know, I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. I want to do things for me. Or if I'm going to do something for you, I want to be paid for it at the very least. 
But now with uh, eight years under my belt, thanks to a program and thanks to trying out ideas that I did not come up with, I've come to find out I do get paid uh, quite handsomely when I'm willing to go do things for other people. And that payment comes in the form of my head not torturing me. So if you're new to sobriety or you've been around for a little bit and you find your head running wild on yourself and you also notice that you don't have a whole lot on your schedule, start volunteering. Start uh, just trying to do things for other people. That would be a suggestion for me. It's serving me well, so hopefully it will serve you as well. So now that we've got that out of the way, uh, back to how are we going to fill this time between just you and me? And by you, I mean the iPhone that I'm staring at because as much as I keep demanding that Siri uh, chime in to serve as my uh, cohort on the show, she does not seem to be speaking up. So instead, I went online and found an article, and this is going to be kind of a throwback to episode 10, where we mentioned in our Grandiosity series the pink cloud syndrome of recovery. And so what I did is I pulled up a little subsequent article that uh, the previous article made mention to. So this week's topic is surviving the pink cloud in recovery. And this comes again from our friends in Thailand at alcoholrehab.com. And it's just going to serve as a general outline. It's not going to be as long of an episode as usual with Carl and I, because if you get Carl and I in a room together, we are going to talk and we're going to talk for a very long time. But with it just being myself, I mean, as much as I love hearing from me, and trust me, I do, I'm going to try to keep it a bit more concise, just in the interest of, well, I want you to tune in next week. So if you get to know me too well, you probably won't want to do that. So... Our topic for this week, Surviving the Pink Cloud in Recovery, begins with the joy of recovery. Getting free of drugs or alcohol is something to celebrate. Fuck yes, it is. Addiction destroys lives and escaping this hell is certainly a wonderful achievement. Enjoying the freedom and newness of early recovery is to be encouraged. It is a time for waking up to the possibilities of life and benefiting from improved relationships with friends and family. The nightmare is over, so there's plenty to smile about. Sometimes, though, the newly sober person can feel so good that it becomes dangerous. So already we've got a couple things that I would like to weigh in on with this. Uh, And that first, the beginning of this article seems to paint a picture that just when I stop using drugs or drinking, that suddenly everything turns around. My relationships improve, my general quality of life improves and that I feel better. And now that's certainly possible for those things to happen. If you are not sober or you're new to sobriety, you might be thinking though, well, I stopped maybe a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, and I don't feel any of those things. My work hasn't gotten better. My home life hasn't gotten better. I don't feel better. And that's certainly possible. And the thing I would like to point out though, is that this is sort of painting a picture that sobriety is just going to spring up and overtake your life and you're going to feel great. If that's not your experience, trust me, you're actually more in the norm. There's a, a misrepresentation, I think, to say that just because I'm not using anymore or I'm not drinking anymore, that all of a sudden everything becomes struck wonderful. Because for like improving your relationships and all those things, that takes a lot of work. I know in my case, 
uh, I actually remember making – this makes me think of when I made amends to my dad. I was around six months sober at the time. And if if I were to go off of what this article says, it started suggesting that I would sit down, try to make that amends. Amends is uh, referring, by the way, to uh, the program of AA in their step nine when they say we made amends to all people we had harmed. And I can describe his – I can describe his reaction as underwhelmed and as it should be. I think that was actually a very reasonable response on his part because I was six months sober, but that's compared to seven years of me doing the shit that I was doing, of all the lying and all of the not being at places I said I was going to be, of putting uh, myself at risk on a regular basis and, you know, sleepless nights for him and my mother and just all of this nonsense that I was doing. So six months sober, that's not going to turn that relationship around. And I only bring that up. Uh, it's not to criticize his response. I actually, like I said, I do feel that that was the proper response. And basically what he had said to me was, OK, you just don't talk it, walk it, you know, get out there and make sure that that's what you're actually doing. So uh, I remember it was around two years sober that he that I felt he really had accepted that this is something I was doing and that I was sincere in it. And that that was a powerful moment, but it took two years to get there. So if you're not feeling great right at the moment, you know, you're not abnormal for that. That's actually, I would argue, that's probably more regular. But what this is saying is that sometimes there are people in recovery that just the elation of not using for a week or two, they're just on you know, so to speak, cloud nine, pink cloud nine. They're just, everything's going great. They're feeling great. And it's nothing but up for them. And that's fine. I don't have any problem with people feeling good in recovery. It's just that it can be easy to get caught up in. And the reason it can become dangerous is that you think that the high of that new elation and that new feeling is going to last forever, uh, that there's no downside to recovery. And the article's going to, I'm going to turn back to our article now because it's going to guide us more into that. But I just kind of wanted to set the table there for where this is going. Uh, back to our article, people may, people may feel exceptionally good for weeks or even months in early sobriety. This pink cloud period is undoubtedly enjoyable, but it can also be risky. Some will come back down to reality with a bang, and that can be painful. It can also lead to overconfidence, which could put people at increased risk of relapse. The individuals feeling so good that they fail to do the things they need to do to stay on track. So, as I was saying before, this is the article starting to turn into that, uh, what the liability can be of what they call the pink cloud syndrome, and that because you're feeling so good now that you start to lack or you start to go lax on the things that need to be done in your program or the guidance you're getting from a counselor or even other people in recovery that are going to keep you sober and you get overconfident. This is where I like to use the metaphor of, well, actually, no, I don't need the metaphor. I'll just remember my own experience. When I was a kid, I always did, every time I got sick, I always did the same thing. Let's say I had a fever and, you know, I'm all stuffed up and congested and, you know, I've got a flu or something like that. I go to the doctor. The doctor gives me some antibiotics or whatever they gave me. So come home. My parents say, OK, doctor said stay in bed for three days. Take your antibiotics. Well, I'd start taking the antibiotics and about a day and a half later, I pop up and start running around the house again. 
because the fever's down from 103 down to 100 and I'm feeling a little bit better. So I get up and I start running around. And then what happens? I run around, I exert too much uh, energy, I put too much strain on myself and boom, I end up down and I'm sick again. And it's because I didn't follow the directions. I didn't follow the program of what the doctor had told me to do, that you needed to rest for three days, not for a day and a half, not till just you feel better, but rather you need to put some more distance between you and the ailment. And I mean, in this case, it's that I've run into I've run into some of these guys in sobriety and gals that I it breaks my heart because like they start feeling good and you don't want to dissuade that. I don't ever want someone to not feel good about being sober. It is it is a big change, especially if you can be excited about it in early sobriety, because I sure as hell wasn't excited about it. Not at all. I thought it was a fucking never ending nightmare. I had to go to these meetings and sit around with all these people and I didn't like any of them. I didn't know anybody. I was socially awkward. But I kept going because I knew they had something that I wanted. And as time went on, I gradually started to feel better. So it was nowhere to go but up for me. But in this case, getting up and enjoying that feeling and then say something in life happens, like you lose your job, you have a fight with your significant other, or maybe you have a weird experience with someone in your recovery program or whatever happens all of a sudden a bad feeling comes up again and you haven't had a bad feeling uh, in a little bit because you've been so excited about feeling sober. Well, what are you used to doing when you feel bad? You used to getting drunk or getting high. At least I know that was the case for me because even though I didn't feel super great in early sobriety, I did certainly feel a little better. So I remember having fights though with people when I was in early sobriety and the moment that any sort of emotional uh, any sort of emotional reaction came upon me that was negative, the first thought I had was I wanted to go drink. The very fucking first one. It never failed. It actually took a long time for that to go away. So this isn't – there's really nothing we can do to avoid that besides staying diligent, staying on top of your recovery program and – just to insert it here, staying honest with people about where you are and where you, you know, what's really going on in your head. Because sometimes we also, you know, I know for me, I would think I was doing something wrong in early sobriety. If I felt bad about something like, well, I should feel grateful and good. I'm not drunk and I'm not doing all of these terrible things that I used to be doing. And, you know, things are getting a little bit better, but it's okay. If you feel all fucked up, that's totally fine. Like just let some excuse me, just let somebody know you feel all fucked up and reach out. A big part of sobriety is reaching out. And trust me, it if it doesn't come easy to you, it didn't come easy to me either. That's something I still struggle with. I've gotten better at it, but it's it's very it's been very incremental in my case. So when you see someone you know, wanting to, uh, and they're enjoying feeling good. We don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but we want to let them know, don't go crazy. Don't start going hanging around bars and, or hanging around the old drug houses or, you know, just hanging around the people you used to hang around with. I mean, you can hang out with whoever you want, but let's not get ahead of ourselves and think, okay, I'm cured and I'm done. And there's no more work to be done because I feel good. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And unfortunately, you can put in so much work into staying sober and it's way easier to get drunk and high than it can be to stay sober like in the beginning 
because it only takes a split second decision to get drunk or high. I mean, you know, if you're around the stuff or to go get the stuff for for staying sober, it's totally normal if those things like staying accountable or reaching out to somebody or being honest about what's really going on in your head, it's totally normal if none of those sound appealing at all. But even though it is harder work and they're not instantly gratifying things to do, there's not an instant gratification payoff, they will serve you well. I promise you that. I would not be recording into my iPhone, sitting on this towel at 11.30 on a Friday morning if I did not believe that. So... I might be getting ahead of our article here. <laughs> I just, I can't help it. Like, I'm just, I'm so nervous because I'm the only one talking. So I just kind of am uh, allowing myself to have uh, diarrhea of the mouth because, well, you got to have something to listen to. And that's the dog barking in the background. So if you hear that, that's Furby. Uh, he, I guess, wanted to be a guest on the show. Oh, and now another dog's barking. Excellent. Well, I'm just going to keep talking. So now we move into the pink cloud defined. Wow, I really did get ahead of this article. It's defining the pink cloud. And I just talked about all this other shit like, of, all right, well, let's just keep going. So early recovery is often referred to as a roller coaster ride because it involves a mixture of great highs and great lows. Emotions that have been anesthetized with alcohol and drugs suddenly awaken and feelings can be particularly intense. As the body and mind adjust to this new life, there can be rapid changes in mood. There will usually come a time, though, when the individual hits a smooth patch. Life will feel wonderful, and future is exceptionally bright. Staying free of addiction now feels effortless, and the individual may wonder what all the fuss was about. Boy, I gotta tell you, I'm kind of envious of these pink cloud people. I didn't have that shit. Fucking staying sober was never an effortless thing for me, like in the beginning. That... Kind of envious of it, but apparently it comes with some risks. So the term pink cloud tends to be used negatively to describe people who are too high on life. Whoa, man, you can't drive. You're too high on life, bro. You got to calm down. Slow your roll. You're too high on life. You're taking a hit off of that life. They're individuals who have lost touch with reality and are now living in a fantasy land. The emotions that this person is experiencing do not properly reflect their actual situation. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They're individuals who have lost touch with reality and are now living in a fantasy land, emotions hiding their actual situation. So basically, it's kind of saying, yeah, the pink cloud, here's the thing. Your life is a train wreck garbage fire and you think it's all going great. And this actually reminds me of a story of a, a man who's no longer with us, but uh, his name was Ray Ray. And I, I loved Ray Ray. He was a He was a guy that I knew in early sobriety and he had been around for a long time, but God, he had great stories. And one of them was that he was uh, in a recovery house, indigent recovery house, when he was uh, very early and sober. He had been homeless. He had uh, these large abscesses in his arms from needles, and he was sickly and underweight and just not doing great. And he was uh, greeting a sponsor one day who was showing up to the house, and he said, hey, Ray, how you doing? He said, hey, I'm fine. And the guy said, Ray, you're a goddamn bum living in a recovery house. You are not fine. I love that story. That's just that that just reminded me of that. And it's not to be mean when we say that when we say shit's probably not going great in your life. It's because um, it's acceptance. You have to look at reality and what it actually is and what's going on around you. 
And so if the pink cloud syndrome gets to the point where you're not even recognizing that there's a lot of work to be done, then I guess I could get on board with saying, okay, we're going from pink cloud syndrome, we're going into a kind of delusion here. And that is going to be risky. So if you're new to sobriety and someone is making it a constant point to you to point out what a fucking train wreck your life is, let's just uh, give them the benefit of the doubt that they're trying to do something nice for you. Hopefully their tact is better than mine or Ray's sponsor, but it is trying to serve a purpose. It's not being mean. Well, maybe not entirely just for the sake to be mean, but there is a re there's a method behind the madness. And so... Now we'll get into, oh, God damn it, I did it again. The dangers of the pink cloud is the next thing. And I was just saying what the dangers of the pink cloud were. Well, you know, let's just assume it's because I'm so wise and experienced in recovery. Although it's probably just because I'm nervous and talking a lot. So the dangers of the pink cloud. It might seem odd to claim that there would be any disadvantages to feeling good. The addict may have spent decades battling their problem. So it seems reasonable that they should get to feel great now. While it is true that life in recovery should be about enjoying life, there can be problems if people become too confident and complacent. And I would uh, especially place an at, uh, emphasis on that, confident and complacent. They may conclude that their problems are over and that there's no need to do anything more to maintain their sobriety. There's also the risk that when the pink cloud period ends, it will lead to a huge disappointment. And again, that's sort of the higher you are, the harder you fall sort of thing. And you know, not to keep repeating myself, but we don't want to stop anyone from feeling good or enjoying their life. That's that's the whole point of getting sober is to enjoy your life, is to get free of this, uh, of, of the addictions and be able to live a real meaningful life. But in the beginning, and trust me, like the, the pink cloud is not the only thing to be wary of in the beginning of sobriety. There's plenty of fucking landmines out there, which is another reason why we always will urge you in whatever venue of recovery that you are in to reach out to others, be involved in other with others in others. That's hey now. Uh reach out, get to know some people, and get some get some help. Uh, so next we're going to relapse is most likely to occur during the first few years of recovery. And I kind of want to accent that the first few years, you didn't get like this overnight and it doesn't get fixed overnight folks. So just be wary of that. It is particularly likely to happen during the first few months after leaving rehab, assuming you went to rehab. The most usual reason why it occurs is that the individual stops putting enough effort into staying free of addiction. They start ignoring their problems and stop asking for help. The relapse process describes how people begin the roadblock back to addiction as soon as they hit a point in recovery that they fail to get beyond. The risk then is that those who are on a pink cloud may feel so confident that they become stuck. And this is an interesting thought because I've had this happen to me in sobriety where I have a sort of to-do list of things that, you know, I want to work on in my life. Like, you know, I'm going through, in my case, it was the 12 steps and working on that stuff. But so I start working on, uh, you know, relationships with other people. And uh, for me, it was getting back in school and getting a job again and getting my finances back in order and doing all that stuff. But then you sort of run out of things to do on your to-do list. I'm, you know, n not to say everything's perfect, but things are better. 
And they're better to the point where you're kind of looking around going like, well, you know, is that it? Is that all there is to recovery? And we sort of make this association that recovery isn't going to pay off anymore. And this is the thing about recovery is that recovery is not meant to be your life. It's to give you the ability to cope with having a life. You build your you build your life as someone in recovery, but outside the walls of recovery. If I can I'm not sure if I'm explaining that the best way, but I'm what I'm trying to say is that it gives you the tools you need to stay sober and then you go out into the world and you build a life. And so when we associate oh, sobriety's not giving me the life I want, it's like, well, no, sobriety doesn't come with a package and hand you a life. It gives you the tools for you to go build the life. It's, I'm hoping that that's going to come across uh, clearly of what I'm trying to say. But if you find that period of getting stuck, um, I know in my experience, it kept coming back to uh, being honest with people of what was really going on. And when you really, if you really think that there's nothing left to do in your life, I'll just speak from my experience. It was because there were things that I hadn't done yet, but I was afraid of confronting. I was afraid of saying that, you know, oh, I want to go back to school or I want to go apply for this other job because they involved risks and I wanted to be comfortable and complacent. Like it's, it's just to be honest, like I was kind of getting lazy because I felt that I had done enough work. I didn't want to have to keep working so hard. And when we use that term work, like in sobriety, it's, you know, I hate the word. I hate the fucking word work. Like, I don't like work. Work sounds boring. Work sounds like I'm getting paid to do something I'd rather not be doing. I'm just doing because I want to get paid. But in sobriety, I still hate the word work. But I've learned that you can work on things and actually enjoy it. And, you know, it takes time. I'm God, I'm all over the place. But this is what happens when Carl's not here. And you know what? This is Carl's fault. They bought that house like right. There's so much vegetation behind his house. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Carl went out there and set that fire himself just so I would have to be here rambling on by myself. That's I'm not grandiose. I'm just I'm pretty sure Carl started that fire. So if there's any if there's any officers listening, you know, go go look him up. I can't give you his last name, but if I could, it'd be Jonesington Burl fire garbage. I think that's his last name. Beep. So turning back to our article, if an individual experiences a particularly pleasant period in recovery, and I love that it says if an individual experiences a particularly pleasant period in recovery, like it's, it's that abnormal to have any sort of pleasantry in recovery, then it can be disappointing when it ends. Life is full of ups and downs, and nobody can stay up forever. Just ask a meth addict. Emotions eventually settle down as the body adjusts to recovery, and the highs and lows become less intense. Beep! There's another edit point because I forgot to put the towel back down so I could record this without that tinny sound, so hopefully that wasn't too bad to listen to. Uh, no, and the highs and lows become less intense. The individual can respond to the end of the pink cloud by assuming that they have done something wrong. They can begin to lose faith in those tools that have been keeping them away from alcohol and drugs. They may even start to question if recovery is worthwhile after all. 
People can feel cheated when the super highs of early recovery are replaced by more modest emotions. And that's that's a very well put right there. And I think I've already spent a good amount of time elaborating on that point again, because I was getting ahead of the article, but it's because I've, I've met enough people in recovery over the past uh, couple years where I've seen this happen, where they get, you know, especially in a group setting, you come into a sort of communal model of recovery and you meet so many people and people are so welcoming and you can talk so freely about your addiction and your trials and your tribulations and all this stuff that you've probably been keeping more private into yourself. And you can talk about it in an open way that there's not a whole lot of shame attached to it. People understand they have their own stories they can relate to. And so it's, it's very, it can be very, you know, for lack of a better, it can be very, for lack of a better term, intoxicating. So when the novelty sort of wears off on that, and then you just kind of go back to a regular baseline, like, you know, emotion, then you might think, well, wait a minute. I felt like fucking tits and rainbows like a couple days ago. And now I don't feel like that anymore. Now I just kind of feel regular. This is kind of mundane. It's kind of boring. And it again, it, it comes from this expectation that recovery equals happiness, Recovery equals sobriety or abstinence from whatever it is, whatever vice you uh, need to get away from. Happiness and all of those things, don't get me wrong, sobriety and recovery help a lot with getting to happiness. But you still have it on you to go pursue a life and to go build and create that happiness of to take care of yourself and to pursue your own goals and ambitions and things like that. So... It's very common that when people fall into the more routine parts of uh, their internal feelings and experiences in recovery, they start assuming that it was overhyped or that the benefits of recovery are short-lived because now they've unfortunately made an association with of uh, elation with recovery when that's that's not the case like uh life still happens in recovery just because i'm sober if a close one you know or i'm sorry if a, if a family member dies like i'm not gonna be like well fuck yeah at least i'm sober you know no i'm still gonna be sad i'm gonna be devastated i'm gonna be upset and that's okay that's all stuff that you know it's recovery is not a golden ticket that you don't have to you don't have to pursue or you don't have to work towards a sort of happiness or joy in your life. It's just, it's a lot easier to pursue those things when you're not fucked up, I guess is the best way I could put that. So we're getting almost to the end of our article here. Thank you for hanging with me so far. Criticisms of pink cloud syndrome. There is no denying that people in early recovery do tend to experience periods when they are emotionally high. They are undoubtedly risks. There are undoubtedly risks associated with feeling overly confident, and the come down can be harsh. Harsh in my buzz, bruh. The main criticism against pink cloud syndrome is that it can be used negatively to describe people in much the same way as dry drunk is used. I've never heard that before. That's a strange correlation. Like dry drunk, for those of you not uh, familiar, the term dry drunk is sort of, um, I guess, for 
lack of a better term, what you would call maybe an unreformed, quote unquote, like alcoholic. And I only use unreformed in the sense of like there's no program or there's no sort of outside guidance, no therapeutic process or whatever vein of recovery that they would tap into to sort of guide them in sobriety. So basically you would, you, you have all of these, uh, you have all, you still have all of these fucked up internal mechanisms going on in in your mind, but now you're just not anesthetizing them. That's sort of what it's referring to. But to, to equate those two, like, I don't, I've never heard that with the pink cloud thing. I think pink cloud for the most part, we talk shit on it just because we're probably jealous. Like, this entire episode might be just pure fucking nonsense because maybe I'm just maybe I've been doing recovery wrong. Maybe I should be on a pink cloud, but instead I'm I'm sitting here on this big old brown turd, and uh, at least it's squishy, so that's kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> get back to the article. Same way a dry drunk is used. This could mean that the individual feels guilty about experiencing positive emotional states. The problem is not feeling good in recovery, but with staying on track. And actually, you know what's fucked up? This could, that line, this could mean that the individual feels guilty about experiencing positive emotional states. I remember, actually, I still have it. I did used to feel guilty about feeling good in recovery. And what's so weird is that I remember even back when I was drinking, it was so abnormal. It was so out of the norm for me to be in a good mood that, and not be drunk or high that I remember times talking to friends or my family and I'd just be in a good mood that day. Like it would happen occasionally and I wouldn't be drunk or high, but I'd be talking to them and I would get this self-consciousness of, oh man, if I'm in, I'm in a good mood, like they're going to think I'm fucking drunk or high. And then I would clam up because I would feel self-conscious about it. And I I don't know, it's a weird thought. Maybe some of you have had the same one. Oddly, though, I always thought when I was drunk or high, and I mean like fucking just wrecked, like just fucked up from the floor up, obviously intoxicated, there's no hiding it, that I could, you know, I wasn't as self-conscious. I would just think to myself, oh, no, I got this. I can pretend that I'm, I can pretend that I'm sober. And then, you know, you're slurring your words and saying horrible shit like, ugh, I don't, I don't miss those fucking days at all. I really don't. Um... But yeah, the problem is not feeling good in recovery, but was staying on track. So that's all sort of to sum up the pink cloud syndrome of that. Really what it's getting at is feel good, enjoy your sobriety. And it's awesome if you're feeling good. It's it's really cool like to have some joy and to enjoy this new, you know, path that you're going down. But don't allow it to don't allow it to divert your attention from the work. Like the work isn't done yet. It doesn't last forever. Uh, there's another gentleman I know from a program that, or actually I've heard quite a few people say it where they say, you know, uh, Oh, a new guy walks in and he sees some uh, old timers, old timers in AA speak is what they refer to as people who've been around and been sober for a while. And so a new guy walks in, he sees these old timers and he says, boy, I feel like shit today. And they say, this too shall pass. So the guy comes back a day or two later and he sees them and they go, hey, how you doing today there, new guy? That's what we call everyone. We don't we don't we don't learn your name for the first uh, for, mm, let's say, 90 days. Like, you know, that's uh, it's just an AA thing. That's not an AA thing. I'm lying. I like to do that. I lie a lot. But so the guy comes in. This is a very scenic route to this joke. 
But he comes in and he says, uh, hey, I'm feeling great today. And they look at him and they say, this too shall pass. So that's sort of the lesson to be learned here of that. There's ups, there's downs, there's all sorts of things to be done in sobriety. So uh, just keep your eye on the prize. Keep working and don't allow yourself to uh, become complacent. And if you do come crashing down off of that pink cloud, if that gets the better of you, just reach out. It's, you know, sometimes when we say this too shall pass, sometimes those really bad feelings pass with all the grace of a kidney stone, but they do pass. And as time goes on in sobriety, I've actually come to find some comfort in that phrase, this too shall pass when I'm in the shit, because I I actually do know it to be true. Like when I'm in a bad way and I, you know, if I say it to myself, it's fine. If someone else says it to me, I want to strangle them. I was going to be like, no, fuck you. This won't get better. This is going to be like this forever. And I'm going to pant and piss and moan and me, 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 me. And then like a day or two later, I feel better. Or after I eat something, I get I get very upset, like very easily when I'm hungry. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's it. That's our coverage of the pink cloud syndrome. And uh, this particular article, thank you for hanging in there with me. Uh, we've got some more stuff uh, just to really quickly remember to follow us on Twitter at SoberPod and use the hashtag SoberPod shoutouts to tweet your recovery milestones and achievements so we can give you a shout out on the show. Congratulations again to Deanna on her six month sobriety. Such an amazing, such an amazing accomplishment. And thank you so much for including us in that and giving us the chance to give you some recognition because it, it does deserve some. So like SoberPod on Facebook and rate and review us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. As for the rest, don't forget to check out everything SoberPod at SoberPod.com. And if you have any ideas for episode topics or would like to participate in an episode of SoberPod, please visit SoberPod.com and message the show. So that's it for today, everybody. This is Steve. See you.